Hello and welcome to Glitch Cube, we're a gaming podcast, and each week we take a deeper look into the art of video games. As always, I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us once again as we dive further into the world of games. So this week, what we're going to be talking about is something that I think we both find very fascinating. And it has definitely changed the way that game developers approach game design in general. Uh, and I think it is a very powerful tool to use for not just big game companies, but indies or people like students or just hobbyists when it comes to game design. And that, of course, is the game jam. So game jams have become increasingly popular over the years. Uh, and the first one was in 2002, uh, written about in 2001 and then actually performed in 2002, early 2002. So it's been, what, 11 years now of game jams? And what's crazy about it is the very first ones were yearly events. But this concept has picked up so much traction that at any given weekend, you can find a game jam out there in the world right now. Whether it's brought to you by a school, by some individuals, by a, a major company that is finding ways to blow off some steam or get the creative juices going once again, uh, this is a very powerful tool that has been developed. So for the people who don't know exactly what a game jam is, what it is is that you are tasked with making a game based on a simple concept, but you have a very limited time to do so. Most of them are about a weekend or three days to take care of it, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or they could go as long as a week, but anything more than that, and it kind of loses the spirit of a game jam itself. And I love these things. I love this idea so much, and it's definitely something that I've always wanted to do, and I kind of want to bring it into like a summer camp kind of idea where the kids come in, they learn a little bit about game design, and then they have three days to make something, right? So teach them for two days on basic concepts, give them some pre-made scripts, and then see what they can make within three days of working together as a team. I think that would be really fun and exciting to see. But it's uh, it's cool. It's a really fun little idea out there. And I don't know, I just think this is a great way of getting the wheels turning because it puts some heavy restrictions on what you can do because you have such a limited amount of time to do anything, really. But what's your uh, take on it? How do you think that this has uh, you know, changed the game industry as a whole? Because it seems like it's really impacted a lot of things out there. Well, after seeing a lot of the big name indie titles that we get through these game jams, I think they're very, I don't want to say necessary, but I feel like they're almost an integral part mm -hmm. of the indie scene specifically. You know, it's, I know that something like this probably, well, I don't, maybe it didn't exist for like the nineties, you know, cause through my research, I was trying to look and see like this had to exist in the nineties. Right. But the thing I forget is that the game industry was so different pre two thousands that it kind of makes sense that this didn't really start till you know, I'm looking at uh, Ludum Dare, which is uh, one of the big indie jams. And mm -hmm. uh, that started in 2002. And, you know, I'm trying to think, like, 
damn 2002 like that was still like playstation one era you know ps2 like it was that generation and to think that people were doing these little 48 hour events back then right like i feel like making games were a little bit harder back then compared to now or you know with unity or unreal or godot like there's all these engines out there that make making games easier right so it's fascinating to think 20 years ago there's these people trying to make a game in two days and i don't know like it's just there's something now that's so cool and i wish like i feel like there's not enough documentation about those early ones um there are for some but i don't know like it's just it's cool because the ideas that come about when put under stress like that are so different and interesting that I don't think you could really get when you're just kind of sitting in your studio coming up with ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And some of the stuff that was proposed in these, it's just like, wow, like, who would have thought of that? It's, I don't know, I think they're necessary uh, for an ecosystem. And in a world where we're kind of seeing, I don't want to say like we're seeing indie titles kind of not take over, but get nudged into the spotlight a lot more. We're in with, you, and some could argue this too with indie studios that like, oh, if a first party is kind of like supporting them, are they really indie anymore? Like look at Annapurna. Can you really classify them as indie anymore just because they're like, I don't know, big now? I, but, you know, you look yeah. at a lot of these other companies and it's like, it's just cool seeing this. Like I, I would love to see even like bigger studios jump in on this idea. Cause it's just, it's cool seeing what people do under pressure. I, I feel like the term indie, right? Like Annapurna is becoming a very big company, right? They're becoming very popular there. They have a pretty big backing behind them now. Right. Mm-hmm. But they still have that indie heart to them where they're able to take risks that other game companies cannot take. Like Microsoft cannot or Sony cannot make the same or take the same risk that indie companies can. And I think Annapurna can still do so. Right. True. And I think that's kind of like the big difference there. Uh, but it's I don't know. The, these game jams are very interesting. And I feel like every company, big or small, should do them internally as well, like as a way to just get things out there. And what I really enjoy about these games, because usually they end up just looking like a tech demo there's usually it's usually just a very core concept very simplistic idea but that idea is still really fun and i think that is something that nintendo has harped on so many times over and over and over again that you need to have at least one mechanic and focus on it and make that like your core fun mechanic and polish the hell out of that thing right like when we look at mario brothers especially with the 3d ones Jumping is so fun and it feels so good to do so. So when they do tech demos for new engines or new renditions of the Mario games, they just have a room where you can just jump around 
And that's it. There's no enemies. There's no nothing. It's just you jumping around on platforms and moving and just getting used to that. And that could just be a game jam game right there that can get later extrapolated and turned into a much bigger idea and go from there. Whereas we see a lot of the bigger games that you mentioned that like a lot of big indie companies out there now started from game jams. Well, I think one of the biggest ones in my mind, at least, is Celeste. Uh, Celeste actually started out as a game jam game and it's it's amazing now. Like the movement is so polished, so well done, but it makes sense that, <clears throat> sorry, that this actually came from a game jam because it is focusing on one concept, on one thing that then got later expanded upon. But that one core thing, the movement, the movement in Celeste is fantastic. And it's what really sells the game. And so the original Game Jam game was just that. It was just the movement. It was the concept behind that and polishing that out. And then you can wrap a story around all that stuff. But your core mechanic still needs to be fun first. So I think that's what's really fascinating about these the games that are developed in these jams uh, because they focus on the fun first. They don't worry about all the story and all the crap and all the fluff that gets put into these things. It's all about the mechanics first. And is the game even fun to play? If you want to add more onto it after the fact and actually publish it, go for it. Because guess what? You have a really strong framework to build off of now. You have an amazing mechanic that's working for you, a great concept as far as that goes. And then now you can put in your moods, your themes, and, and whatnot to really polish it out further. So I actually have the uh, website for the very first Indie Game Jam open right now. And it's kind of funny. So it's called the the Zeroth or Zero TH. How would you say it? Zero? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I was like thinking about it. I'm like, Zeroth? Yeah, because no, it like, sounds weird. Yeah, like fifteenth, thirteenth, right? Like Zoth. Zoth. Yeah. Right. So it's uh, the zeroth <laughs> invitation yeah. to their indie game in indie game jam. Uh, and this is before game jam became one word too. So I think that's kind of funny. Uh, but this was uh, written by Chris Hack or Hecker and San or Sean Barrett. They were the first uh, ones to really put this out there. And it's really cool to see that this started out in Oakland, California, uh, which is pretty awesome. Uh, and it was actually sponsored by Intel. So Intel sponsored this little idea from these couple computer science majors uh, and actually gave them 16 premium. So this is Intel generously loaned us 16 premium uh, 1.8 gigahertz machines with 256 megabytes. Uh, DDR RAM, right? Like, so it's kind of cool <laughs> to see it. And if you look at the pictures, uh, man, those uh, those are some big, big machines, big rigs for sure. So, and you have just a bunch of boob tube TVs all over the place, about 14 dudes just sitting in a dark room making games for a while. God, <laughs> must it stink in there. But <laughs> the, <laughs> they they put out like a, a little... Uh, an email as, as like a little invite to a bunch of other designers and uh, computer science majors out there to see if they'd be interesting or interested in participating in this. And they actually called it in the subject line a wacky invitation 
because they didn't know if this was going to go off the ground. This is the very first time doing it. And game jams usually have a theme behind them. So every game has to follow this theme specifically. So it's even it's putting even more restrictions on what you can create there, which I would say is actually kind of nice, right? If you only have 48 hours to make a game and the, you know, the world's your oyster, you can make it about anything. You're going to spend probably 36 hours trying to think of what kind of game you want to make and then 12 hours scrambling. So at least they give you a theme for that. And the very first theme was 100,000 guys or quantity has a quality all in its own. So they were really trying to push their machines here. That was the whole goal of this. And they wanted to push these Intel machines as far as they could go by putting as many entities on the screen at once. And the 12 games that were produced from this very first game jam are all 3D games. Makes sense, right? Like this is kind of their stress test for all of it. But there are some kind of funny ones, right? But it's a lot of like war stuff. Uh, it's just getting a lot of characters out there. There's one that's called Wrath. It's uh, two gods compete for followers who die believing in them. Uh, so the strategy is to convert then kill. Uh, you have a lot of tools to convert and kill, and the tools interact with each other in interesting ways. A game of shapes and influence. So the characters themselves are just random, like little circles and colors and things like that. But you have to perform acts to get them to follow you. And then once they are following you, then you kill them to reap the benefits of their faith, right? So there's some weird concepts there. And if you look at screenshots from these original game jams, it just looks like a hot mess, not going to lie, because <laughs> there's just so much going on in the screen. But this really paved the, the framework for every game jam after this. This was the first one to really show us what creativity can look like in the world of game design and show us that people actually thrive whenever you put restrictions on them. They do very well and they come up with some very interesting concepts in that process. And actually, while we're looking at this, um, there's a quote that just kept popping up in my head of restrictions breed creativity. And I feel like I've heard this for such a long time, and I couldn't really think about where it was from. Uh, so I decided to Google it. I was like, where, where did I hear this idea? Because I know I didn't make this up. I know I read this somewhere. And one of the very first things that pops up is that this is a term coined by a game designer known as Mark Rosewater. So for some people out there, Mark Rosewater is a name that you know very well. For others, uh, he's actually the lead game designer of Magic the Gathering, and he's been the lead game designer there since 2003. So he's been doing this for a while. And if you can imagine how many cards are available in Magic the Gathering, how many renditions and changes have come up. This guy knows a lot about restrictions and knows a lot about how to be creative within a framework, which is a very interesting thing to do. Uh, a lot of people out there really think that having more tools available to you means that you're going to be more creative, but that could just lead to more and more distractions, right? We see it a lot with game developers out there, even AAA game developers, where they get catch wind of a new console coming out. So they decide to change everything that they've been working on to fit onto that new console. 
Well, that means that they actually have to rewrite the entire game from the ground up. Like, sure, you might be able to port over a couple assets, but if you're going to a next gen, you have to change the artwork too to match that. So then it just goes through developmental hell and who knows if that game will even ever come out. Like, look at Two Human. Two Human was supposed to come out in the N64 and didn't come out until the Xbox 360. And it was okay. <laughs> it really wasn't that great of a game, but it's just years and years of development hell. And actually, um, uh, who is it, John Romero, right? He went through that a lot with his games, and that's probably why they failed a lot is because mm -hmm. he constantly was hunting for the new shiny thing. Well, in a situation like a game jam, you don't have that luxury. You have the tools that are right in front of you. Whatever you have currently on your system is what you got because you don't have time to learn something new. And you just have to create. And some amazing, amazing ideas come out of this. And I would say that it's because of game jams, actually like doing more research on this, it's because of these game jams that indie games have blossomed so much. Uh, because they have the freedom to create, the freedom to test out new things, things that AAA games are, are not capable of doing so because it's too high risk for them. And it's successes. Like they end up being really fun or it's a new idea that you never would have thought about before in the past. But hey, that's actually pretty damn fun and enjoyable. So let's actually develop this further now. This was a cool concept. So let's make it a full-fetched game. So yeah, I... I truly believe that game jams are responsible for how far indie games have gone and kudos to intel from being there from the beginning and seeing that this is important that this needs to be funded and this needs to be a thing that gets put out there and donating the consoles to actually make this thing happen right they didn't have to give them 16 pcs because these guys were really not much of anything at that point right like that it was just it was a thought experiment and intel really paved the way so i'm kind of like i think everyone in the indie field should feel a little you know or at least say thank you to intel for that because it really did spark everything for sure yeah it's kind of surprised that they took a chance on that you yeah. know because i mean think about getting that idea pitched to you all the way back then, like, oh, we're going to try and make a game within this short amount of time, or, you know, a concept. Like, it's kind of unheard of. So, like, it's it's fascinating. You know, it's... <sighs> and this is right after Y2K, right after all that stuff. So, like, yeah, tech like, is booming, but we're in, like, a really weird place in the tech field. Yeah, and the way that generations in the games were going at that point, you know, like, that was the GameCube era, you know, the Dreamcast died by that point, and, you know, it it was must have been hard to decide what you wanted to do, you know, because, I mean, even older platforms were still around. Yeah. And... It's, and there was no degree paths for game design. Not yet. So this no. is all hobbyists. So they took chances on hobbyists and computer science majors. It's kind of And amazing. they weren't, like, indie games weren't, like, 
they are now back then, right? Like you didn't have your your indie titles on a marketplace. Hell, there wasn't even a digital marketplace at the point, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you were on your PC, which I think if I recall, Steam was very rudimentary back then. Like it was I think it was only like like the orange box games, right? Like Valve's yeah. own games at that point. So yeah, like Steam Greenlight didn't exist yet. Yeah. And you know, so it was very interesting to think about indie titles in that time because the way we know indie titles now all really came about through the xbox live you know the arcade or mm, the indie yeah. um thing that that's how i heard about it. i remember when i saw castle crushers or crashers and i was like oh my god and then i saw braid and i'm like this is nuts like mm. what are these games these these aren't what i'm used to you know and to think that later on, you know, looking at this list of all these games that were ideas thrown in a game jam, I'm like, oh my god! Like, it's it's pretty amazing, right? <laughs> like all yeah. of the big indie games that you know that you see and they're being advertised that, that streamers are playing and like they're insanely popular now started as game jam games. Like that's kind of an amazing thing like the these concepts that have such longevity and life to them or show such uh progress and innovation within the field all started in like either a one week or a 48 hour just session of making something and it's really cool to see like of course these games went through further polish later on but the fact that the core game was there within 48 hours like that's pretty fascinating and most of the time it was either one or two people making these things which is a much more common thing that we're seeing nowadays but you know back then there it wasn't easy sharing the file so you had to find somebody in your area that had a passion like you do and the drive to make these things and actually come together and make them together now of course we can you know participate with teams across the world and share assets very easily but, you know, it's a, another amazing fact that I've had, the fact that these games even exist, it, despite how difficult it is to potentially share this stuff, is pretty amazing. Some of the games that really stood out to me that were Game Jam titles, I mean, other than Celeste, mm-hmm. you know, because I've, I've talked about that game a lot in the past. Yeah. <laughs> but some that really stuck out to me that I didn't expect them to be uh, probably is Valhalla, which is that cyberpunk, you know, you're a uh, a bartender and you're talking to people and it's a, it's a very good game. Like, I feel like it's a title that I didn't realize was as popular as it was. I thought when I played it, I'm like, oh, this is really cool. But I didn't realize, like, a lot of people like really liked it. Yeah. So to think that really started out as an idea, I'm like, damn, like how, how do people just come up with stuff so quick? But I guess, you know, like you were saying, like it's about the gameplay and the mechanics and then the story comes later. Mm-hmm. But like, that was one that really stood out to me. Um, Baba's you, 
is another one which, you know, the mechanics in that are, I think, some of the most interesting to me. Like, it sounds like such a simple game, but once you play it and you get further into it, it's difficult, to say the least. Like, it's it's a very interesting concept that I know when it came out, people had it pretty high on their list. And But regretfully, you don't really hear about it anymore, which is a bummer because I think it's definitely up there for some of my favorite puzzle game, like in maybe the last decade. Like it's it's a very creative content for sure. Yeah, like it's it's very basic visually, but the concept and the gameplay, you're like, whoa, like it's. I don't know. It's a really like kind of special puzzle game that I wasn't expecting when I played it. I would be really curious to see the original version of it and see how many puzzles were actually there because they really Mm -hmm. did make a concept that can just continue to grow and grow and grow, which is kind of nice, actually. It's I mean, it's perfect for people who want to continue on with it as it continues on. And the graphics are so simple that they don't really have to do much, right? (laughs) It's just create new puzzles and change out the layouts. And there you go. Done. And just keep pumping out levels. So it's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? So one of them that really kind of blew me away, honestly, was uh, Goat Simulator. So huh. the fact that, I mean, it's it's such a silly, obnoxious game. And I do really appreciate that this was actually a made or a game that was made in between other games. So this was this studio's way of uh, actually blowing off some steam And so Coffee Stain Studios decided to hold a game jam within their own company to create Goat Simulator. And they were just making something stupid and fun and just kind of like doing whatever. And it ended up blowing up and becoming a pretty huge game. What, Goat Simulator 3 just came out, right? Is it the third one? And it's just so bizarre that the fan base is so huge for just kind of goofy physics and just kind of out there things. It's, It's kind of amazing. Uh, and then another title that really, I mean, there's a lot on this list, but one of them that I was like, wow, that's cool, is uh, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. Uh, I, I really enjoy the concept of this game. Uh, I actually first picked it up whenever I was really diving further into board games, and I have a printed <laughs> PDF of the rules <laughs> in my house still uh, be- because I, w- I was played it with you know, my fiance once and with um, her friends at some point, uh, they was a little above them because none of them are gamers, right? But it was just a really cool idea of actually mixing, uh, you know, actual video game concepts, like someone's actually in front of a screen trying to disarm this bomb. And then you have real world participants looking through rule books where they could be actually like rifling through papers, which I thought was a really cool thing and added to the stress of it, right? Where you're like, oh crap, where was this document? And I didn't staple it on purpose because I wanted it to kind of end up being a hot mess after a while and (laughs) just kind of add to the stress. I don't know. I'm chaotic that way, I guess. But it's just a really cool, uh, really cool concept there that I just really enjoy a lot. It's it's super simple. And I once again, like if you look at what like these games and more games that we'll bring up, 
like Baba is You, it has one mechanic that they did extremely well. Celeste has the movement mechanic that's done very, very well. Valhalla, right? It's the simulator part is the conversational piece that is done very well. Goat Simulator is messing with physics. Keep talking, nobody explodes is a social experiment. So the gaming part isn't crazy hard. They just have to spend a lot more time developing rules for it. But it's it's kind of fascinating, right? Like it gets broken. If you really look at these games at a smaller or yeah, a more microscopic level, like it's it's really, really amazing to see. And then like, honestly, maybe the biggest game that's on this list and I really am curious if this is 100% correct. And if it's not, I do apologize. Uh, but supposedly, The Binding of Isaac is mm. on this list of Game Jam games. That's a huge game, but it makes sense, right? The concept is rather simple. It just became, it, it was fun. They were able to focus on one core concept and make it truly fun. And people have dumped countless hours into that title and people have cloned this game and really like made games based off of isaac games right like it's pretty nuts so apparently it was made at a week-long game jam that's amazing that's amazing it's basically its own genre in itself now yeah i mean think about it it really kind of revolutionized roguelikes to an extent as long uh, as well as like twin stick shooter kind of mechanics like it's a it's a very simple game on paper but when you dive into the mechanics of it later on it it takes a different shape mm -hmm. and i was kind of surprised by that too because i i never thought that it would be you know like it just doesn't seem like the kind of game you would see like looking at that list and the way you worded it was perfectly how each of those games kind of has one mechanic that really stands out and that's what the game is known for you know like for me it's super hot you know oh, and yeah. i think that's probably one of the other really big games on this list for me is that you know it's it seems like a simple concept but it's something that wasn't done before mm -hmm. or it took an old mechanic and flipped it on its side. Well, you it know? makes slow-mo fun. Like what a simple thing that's used across all media, right? Like mm -hmm. slow motion is everywhere and it turned slow motion into a gaming concept. And it, it turned an FPS into a puzzle game yeah. almost, right? Yeah. Like move too much. And, you know, you die like it, it when I first played that game, it was so not mind blowing, but I was so like I had to stop and I was like, whoa, like. This is really damn cool, mm -hmm. like it was so different, and I think that's something that I really love about a majority of all the games that I've played that are on this list, which is surprisingly a lot of them. I, I've loved every one of them that I've played and I can see it, right? Like some of the other ones like Donut County, very simple concept. You're just a hole that just wants to eat everything. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I think Thomas was alone is another interesting one, which if I recall, it was praised very highly. I think it won a BAFTA as well. It actually did win a BAFTA. The game it did, uh, the game itself won a BAFTA and then the narration uh, also won a BAFTA Mm -hmm. award. Uh, And the narrator is uh, Danny Wallace, who's a famous comedian, and he narrated the entire game for them. Uh, apparently he did Stanley a, Parable. He did, right? yeah. He also did Stanley Parable. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, Thomas Yu is talking about uh, disability rights, which I thought was really interesting. So there's a much deeper, huh. much deeper message behind Thomas was alone than um, I knew. Like I, I, I've only seen it. That's one I haven't played, but I've always been curious about. Uh, but apparently, the story goes very deep, uh, and it becomes very like existential. And very interesting, actually. So it makes sense that it won a BAFTA, honestly. I never knew that. I I should replay it because I, I remember playing it. And this was a time when I was just getting back into games. Mm. And I didn't really think anything of it past like, oh, this is a fun platformer. Right. But now that I think about it, I do remember it being dark. And yeah. now I'm like, kind of fascinated to really look into this because that i didn't think there was a deeper meaning to that game Mm -hmm. but i don't know it's just it's so cool seeing these games and knowing that they just were an idea created very quick like a limited amount of time it's fascinating to me like i mean honestly it a couple more games that are just like standing out to me right now, like Forger. Forger, I was obsessed with, and mm-hmm. I do like the fact that the one designer that did, made the game, like he has a little intro right as part of the title screen. Like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, I had a lot of fun making this. I hope you have fun with it too. Like, that's just a nice thing to do. But that totally feels like a game jam kind of thing to do, right? To include that, where it's like, hey, this is just something I made over the weekend. Hope you guys have fun. <laughs> Which is pretty cool. But then uh, games like Towerfall. Towerfall is a very extremely polished platform error shooter. And it's mm-hmm. very good, very fast paced and just very well done. And then even like Surgeon Simulator. Come on. <laughs> like the original concept for that was made in one of these game jams, which is pretty amazing to think about. Like there's so many great games that were created here and so many games that we're playing and we had no idea. I think that's what's the most fascinating thing because unless you're really looking for it, you might not know you're playing a game that started out as a 48-hour thing. But I think now we kind of, after analyzing and studying this a little bit more, I think we might have a better understanding of (laughs) what to look out for. But it's still kind of hard to figure that stuff out because these games are getting better and better and if you are curious about playing these games, uh, Itch.io, if you've never heard of that, Itch.io has a lot of these games. Basically, every or it seems like almost every game that's developed from game jams end up on there as a way to share them. And on their site, they even have a calendar of upcoming game jam events. So that's pretty cool to check out. So if you are curious about it, I definitely recommend heading over to Itch.io seeing what game jam events are coming out soon and seeing if there's any games you can actually play and check out. Cause who knows that might be the next up and coming game that everyone's ranting and raving about or the next studio 
that is going to be the new hot thing. <laughs> so it's very possible and kind of exciting to think about. I mean, I we should definitely do a game jam. <laughs> I really think we should. I'm down. Just, you know, it, even just testing ourselves, you know, like, I don't know, reading about Surgeon Simulator is kind of motivating because, you know, they did it in the 48-hour window, and then they were able to make a commercial version within 48 days That's after that. such an amazing turnaround. So it's like in 50 days, they were able to make a commercial version. And, of course, the full version came out, like, I think uh, – not that long after. That's pretty Which is amazing. crazy. It's two months to profit. That's pretty crazy. Because that profit will fund them continuing making the game. It's pretty cool. Yeah, especially how big that game got. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this, this is a really amazing idea out there that it's, I mean, it's been around for 20 years now, right? And it's become mm-hmm. such a commonplace item within the gaming industry but for those new gamers out there that don't know about this, really look into this. This is the future of gaming. This is where all of the new amazing ideas are coming from. And it is a very exciting field to check out because they can take risks. <laughs> That's the biggest thing that I love about this is that these guys, these these, these individuals, I shouldn't say guys, sorry. Uh, these individuals making these games can take major risks and push the envelope and push the genres because if it doesn't work out, that's okay. It's fine. This was made as a thought experiment. And if it works, then holy crap, we just found a new genre, right? Like it's just, it's either, it's a win-win no matter what. It's just either you get experience or you find something amazing. It's, it's really cool, but yeah. Anyway, I think that's probably going to do it for us this week. Uh, there's so much like really cool stuff to look into here. And it's been a lot of fun doing some research on some of the titles that actually came from Game Jams. And if there's one out there near you and you are a game developer, or if you want to look for one, like I said, check out Itch.io. Uh, sure, there's a lot of people out there that are uh, advertising it. Uh, game Maker's Toolkit uh, has some pretty amazing ones, and they even have some amazing videos showcasing the games that get created each year uh, for their game jam specifically. And if maybe if you're going to school for game design particular specifically, ask your professors if you guys can do this. I mean, why not? How cool would that be as a final project instead of just the boring project that they've been rinsing and repeating every semester? Because trust me, they're just doing the same shit. <laughs> so this might be a good way of breaking free from that and actually flexing your creativity a little bit and challenging you and your peers. Who knows? Might work out. But yeah, that's going to do it for us. Hope you guys enjoyed this little episode and we will talk to you guys next week with the next set of games. But until then, bye for now.